For the rest of you, you can turn to Mark chapter 2. That's in the New Testament. You can look in the table of contents if you're not sure where that is. My name is Jonathan Romig. I am the associate pastor here at Emmanuel, and uh, it's my pleasure to come up here and speak the, the word for you. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray, and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to hear from you through your scriptures. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be evident in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Every town has their local celebrities. My hometown of Estes Park, Colorado has Cowboy Brad. Cowboy Brad likes to sing uh, folk songs and western music. He has a white cowboy hat, a big belt buckle. He has long blonde hair, and he's about 50, and this is a picture of him. Now, Cowboy Brad, when he comes out to see us sing, as you can see, he draws about 100, maybe 200 people, and this isn't bad for Estes Park. Uh, now, what if I were to say the name Angie Miller? Some of you know who Angie Miller is from the American Idol television show. And the rest of you spend your time doing better things. <laughs> now, Angie Miller came in third place on the American Idol television show, which is big news for us here in New England, because she is from Beverly, Massachusetts. I was actually driving through Beverly, and there was a big banner uh, hung across the road that declared it Angie Miller Day, May 4th, 2013, and it welcomed her home. And uh, they were expecting so many people, not just 100 or 200, but thousands of people that came out that they actually had to issue parking instructions for the town of Beverly, for those that wanted to come see her. She drew out thousands of people. Angie Miller and Cowboy Brad are musicians who are moderately famous and draw a crowd. Well, the person that we're learning about today also had uh, similar fame. Now, imagine that there's someone from New England that has the power to cure something like cancer, cure diseases by just saying, be clean. Imagine that. Well, Jesus is uh, from Nazareth, and if we were to compare that to some place in New England, we would compare that to something like Lynn, Massachusetts. There was a saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and he's traveling around the area of Galilee, and he, uh, he's doing ministry in the Capernaum area, and he stumbles into a leper. A leper comes upon Jesus. Now, a leper is someone who has leprosy. Leprosy is a skin and nervous system disease that we call Hansen's disease today. Hansen's disease has a cure today. But back then, there wasn't a cure. Back then, you didn't know what to do. You just had to leave civilization. And so when they hear that Jesus is able to perform miracles, to to cleanse people, to heal them from their diseases and afflictions, this leper comes to find Jesus. And Jesus heals him. He says, be clean, and the leper is cleansed. 
And Jesus only has one request. He tells them to not tell anyone, to keep the news private, to go and present himself to the chief priests, to the priests, and make offerings as a proof to them. But the leper disobeys. He goes out and tells everyone. He's excited. He just got healed. And then Jesus is mobbed. He doesn't draw just hundreds or thousands. He draws many, many thousands of people. And Jesus is mobbed, and he's so mobbed that it becomes hard to openly enter a town. But for some uh, reason, he's around the area, and he he does make his way back to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, and he's at a house. And there's another sick person that needs to come to Jesus and needs to experience physical healing. But this house is so packed with people listening to Jesus that he can't get in to see Jesus. And so four men who are with this sick person decide to do something drastic, Let's read that once more in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you're not at Mark yet, you can turn to Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their heart, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning him within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So why do the four men bring the paralytic to Jesus? What do they see in Jesus that causes them to tear apart a roof? They see that Jesus is a healer for the hurting. Jesus is a healer for the hurting. We saw in Mark chapter 1 in the previous weeks, if this is your first time, we, we, we heard about Jesus casting out demons and, and healing the sick and the hurting. At the end of Mark chapter 1, we read about Jesus, or we heard about Jesus cleansing the leper. We just reviewed that just now. And today in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Jesus heals the paralytic. Now, a paralytic is someone who is paralyzed. It doesn't say how much this person is paralyzed, but it does say that they had to carry him on his bed. Now, his bed here is more like a stretcher or a sick mat. It's not a place of comfort. It is a place of long suffering. And so this man comes to Jesus because he hears that Jesus can heal the sick, that Jesus is a healer for the hurting. 
And Jesus does not turn him away. But why doesn't Jesus turn him away? Last time he healed the leper, it caused him all sorts of trouble. He couldn't open, enter a town openly. He was mobbed. Uh, the man didn't listen to him. So why heal this man? Well, healing is a sign of the kingdom of God. Healing is a sign of the kingdom of God. Now, we're currently in a sermon series on what the kingdom of God is. And for many of you, maybe the kingdom of God is a foreign concept. You don't know what the kingdom of God is or why it's important. Well, today we're learning that healing is a part of the kingdom of God. And we heard from Pastor Dana last week that healing comes through three ways, primarily. Through preaching the word of God, through casting out demons, exorcisms, and through healing. And so a couple of weeks ago, we heard about the preaching. Last week, we heard about exorcisms. And this week, we're learning about healing. That the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, comes about through healing. But notice in our passage that Jesus, before he heals the man, is actually preaching the word of God. Look at verse 2 at the very end, and it says, And he was preaching the word to them. See, Jesus was sharing the gospel. We see what the word is in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins and, and belief in his kingdom. And so, as he performs this miracle, he makes known that the healing is a sign of the kingdom of God. But how does Jesus respond to the paralytic? The paralytic has come to him. How does he respond to those who are hurting? Well, Jesus invites the hurting to come and be healed. Jesus invites them to come and be healed. Uh, now notice the importance of faith in this story. Jesus uh, is in their teaching, and you can imagine that he desires physical healing for this man. And this man shows up outside. And we don't know if Jesus knew the man was outside the building or not. But maybe word trickled into Jesus that, hey, there's a man outside, a paralytic, who needs physical healing. But what does Jesus keep doing? He keeps preaching the word. He keeps preaching the gospel because he wants to see the man display his faith. He wants to see the man come all the way to him. Faith is an important element in the story. Verse 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My sons, your sins are forgiven. Jesus first sees the faith, and then he heals them. Jesus knows the importance of faith, of an active faith of coming unto Jesus. And so he waits. And these men outside, they, they end up having to go up on the roof. And they begin to dig through the, the dirt and the mud. The, the roofs back then were made out of thatch and mud and clay. Luke tells us there was some tiles. And so you can imagine as Jesus is sitting there teaching, mud and clay is falling all around Jesus, and you would think this is a good time to heal the guy so he doesn't destroy the roof, but no. Jesus keeps preaching the gospel and keeps waiting until the man comes unto him. He is lowered before Jesus, right in front of them, and now they are face to face. And Jesus 
heals him. Jesus invites the hurting to come and be healed. And like the paralytic, Christ invites us, but he wants to see our faith. He wants to see our faith in himself. God wants to grow us and stretch us as we put our faith in Christ and trust him for things like healing. This does not mean that the more faith you have, the healthier you'll be. But God does invite us to come. So that, that means we have to ask the question, is God still healing like this in similar ways as to this today? Does God still do this sort of thing today? Well, God is still healing the sick and the hurting today. Uh, some churches uh, will offer times of prayer for healing. Every Wednesday night, we pray for people for healing here at Emmanuel. And my, my old boss liked to tell the story of his uh, grandmother on his uh, wife's side, and uh, his wife's grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer in her 30s. And she went to the doctors, and uh, the doctors decided they needed to do surgery. So they opened her up and began to perform the surgery, and they quickly discovered that she was completely filled with cancer. So they didn't finish the surgery. They closed her back up and told her to go home and die. And so she was at home. Her chest was turning black, and she was passing away. And a friend came, came by the house and said, why don't you come with me to church? Let's go to church. I feel like you should come with me. And there the pastor prayed for healing, and she turned 94 last week. God healed her. So we can see that God does still heal today, sometimes through supernatural means, but he can also use things like science and physicians and medicines. My, my old college mentor uh, shared this story, that they were in Honduras on a missions trip, the students and him, and they were miles from anywhere. They were out uh, working for the Lord, and one of the girls came down with an infection. And they didn't have medicine, or so they thought. Because on a whim, one of the students had brought antibiotics. He wasn't taking the antibiotics, but he just thought, I'll bring it. And my mentor had not told anyone to pack antibiotics, to bring it just in case. But he brought antibiotics. And that was exactly what the girl needed. She got better. So God advances his kingdom through healing, sometimes through supernatural means, through miracles, and other times through physicians, through doctors, and through medicines. They're both special, and God uses them both for his glory. God is still healing the sick and the hurting today. But if all we see in this story, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, if all we see is the healing, then we actually miss the main point of the story. The healing's an important part of it. But it's not the main emphasis of the story. Because Jesus is more than just a healer. Jesus is more than just a healer. Verses 6 through 7 say, end of verse 5 says, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So this man comes for healing, and Jesus forgives his sins. 
And uh, as he's forgiving him his sins, when he says that, he's claiming to be God. And the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, look at Jesus and say, no, no, you can't possibly be God. You're just a Jewish rabbi. You're not God. You don't have the authority to forgive sins. And the problem with this is that they're ignoring who Jesus is presenting himself to be. They're deciding who Jesus is without asking Jesus. They're calling him a blasphemer. A blasphemer is someone who curses or slanders the very name of God. And perhaps, perhaps they feel right in deciding who Jesus is. Perhaps they feel right and justified. Remember the story of the leper and how the leper was supposed to go to the priests and present himself after he was miraculously cleansed. Well, he never went. And you can imagine that those scribes would have heard about the leper being cleansed. And they would have taken offense that this man never came and presented himself to them. So they would have already been offended at Jesus and felt disrespected. And so they decide who Jesus is without really paying attention because their hearts have hardened and they have decided Jesus is not God. This man is not telling the truth. It's easy to decide who Jesus is without asking Jesus. It's easy to decide who Jesus is without asking Jesus. It's like if I were to come up to you and introduce myself. And uh, normally when you walk up to someone and introduce yourself, you shake their hands and you give them your name and perhaps you'll tell them a little bit about yourself. It's as if I were to walk up to someone and say, hi, my name is Jonathan. And they interrupt me and say, hi, your name is Pete and you're a plumber and you love sports. Well, you might not like this very much if they were to tell you who you are without asking them. But so often, this is what we do to Jesus. We decide who Jesus is. We create a picture of him in our heads that we prefer. And for many of us uh, Americans, that means Jesus is a a friendly, uh, white, Caucasian male. Uh, You might be familiar with this uh, painting by Salman Warner. You can throw that picture up. Uh, It's from the 1940s. This is the Jesus many of us are familiar with. This hung on my home church wall for many years. Or maybe if that Jesus doesn't quite fit you, you like the younger, cooler, hipper version by Richard Hook. This is still in my youth room wall back in Estes. No wonder there are Jesus is my boyfriend t-shirts. You can go ahead and put the picture down. (laughs) So we come to Jesus and we decide who Jesus is. But this is not how Jesus paints himself. This is not how Jesus uh, reveals himself in his word. Jesus comes casting out demons and preaching the word and healing the sick and rebuking the Pharisees and calling out the scribes. He does not present himself as just a man, but the son of man as God in the flesh, and we should fall down and worship him. But it's easy to decide who Jesus is without really paying attention to what Jesus says about himself. 
But maybe you feel justified. You feel right in deciding who Jesus is because Jesus has hurt you in some way. Just like the scribes and religious leaders of the day were offended. You too have been offended by either the church or a religious organization or a Christian. And so without really paying attention to Jesus, you decide Jesus is just a man. Yes, maybe he has the ability to heal, perform miracles, but he's just a man, a teacher. He's not very lucky, but he's just a man. But this is not how Jesus presents himself in his word. As C.S. Lewis likes to explain it, this means that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Because Jesus presents himself as God. He is a liar if he's claiming to be God and not. He's a lunatic. He's crazy if he presents himself as God and he's not. Or he's actually God. And he is our Lord. Jesus doesn't present himself as just a teacher or a nice man. He presents himself as God in the flesh. It's easy to decide who Jesus is without asking Jesus. So if Jesus is more than just a man, what is he? Who is he? Well, Jesus is a healer for the hurting, and he is a savior for the sinful. Jesus is a healer for the hurting and a savior for the sinful. Jesus is a savior for the sinful. In verse 5, Jesus says the words, My son, your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus says these words, it's not just saying your sins are forgiven in some abstract way. Someone forgive your sins out there. No, he's saying that I forgive your sins. Jesus is the one forgiving him of all the wrongdoings he has done. He is uh, forgiving him directly. My, my seminary professor, uh, Dr. Stephen Whitmer, liked to compare this to a wedding pronouncement. And one of the biggest joys and honors of my life was actually to uh, perform the wedding ceremony of one of my college friends. And the favorite part of that wedding ceremony for me, the most special moment, was when I got to do the wedding pronouncement. When I actually said, I pronounce you husband and wife. Because that changes their legal status from single to married. They're no longer separate. They're one. And when Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven, he is pronouncing his sins gone. This is just like a judge who declares a criminal not guilty. Their status changes to that of not guilty. If we put our faith in Christ, in Christ alone, he declares us, he pronounces us not guilty. Jesus is a savior for the sinful. But isn't there something strange about this? Does Jesus really have the right to do something like this? Well, Jesus has the power to forgive sins. That's right. Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive sins. My, my friend Michael likes to explain it in an example like this. Imagine that we're back in the time of worship, and we're, we're singing up front. Well, I'm not, but uh, we're up front, and they're, they're singing. And uh, Steve Camp is right here, and he's singing, beautiful voice. And let's say Tom, Tom Taylor is right here, and he's singing. And Matt Gallister gets up, and he walks to the front, and he 
punches Steve in the face. <laughs> and Steve is kind of smartened because Matt really hit hard. I mean, he has a shaved head and a mustache. <laughs> he really hit hard. And Tom Taylor turns to Matt and says, Matt, I forgive you. I don't know how much Steve would like that. <laughs> but this is what Jesus does. Tom, Tom Taylor doesn't have the right to forgive Matt of his sins unless Tom is God. And I know he's not because I just went hiking with him. <laughs> but Jesus, as strange as it is, does have the very authority of God. He has the power to forgive sins. So why does Jesus bother to heal the paralytic? If the forgiveness of sins part is the most important part, why bother with actually healing his body? Well, that's important too. Jesus heals the hurting to show, to reveal, to display that he has the power to forgive sins. In verses uh, uh, 8 Jesus uh, perceives within them that they are questioning him. And, they, and that he says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Jesus asks a question. He says, which is harder, to, to heal or to forgive sins? Well, both are hard. But the thing with forgiving sins is that it's kind of abstract. You really can't see anything different take place in this life. And so in order to prove that he has the authority and the power to forgive sins in this kind of abstract, invisible way, Jesus does something very concrete, very visible, and very real. He heals the man. This is what verse 10 says. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Jesus healed the man. He, he, he healed him and he rose, he walked out, and he went out. And Jesus does this to reveal that he is the very son of man. This is a messianic term. That he is the Messiah. That he is God's chosen. He has come not only to save people, as his kingdom, kingdom is healing, not only to heal people, but to save people, to save them from their very sins and their wrongdoings before God. So what does this mean for us? How does this apply to us today? What should we take away from this as we, as we go our ways? Jesus is a healer for the hurting, and he is a savior for the sinful. It's easy to approach Jesus as a healer, I do it all the time. I, I ask him for healing for those around me or for myself, and I pray his blessings upon us. And we should do this. God asks us to approach him, to, to heal us and those around us. But God is a two-part package. He is more than just a healer or a gift giver because his main mission was not just to heal the physical body, but to heal the soul, heal, the soul, to heal, heal us spiritually, to bridge that gap between God and man, to restore the broken relationship between us and our Savior and our Lord, to make right all the wrongs we have done to each other and to God. 
If you're not a Christian, I invite you to think of Christ as your Savior, not just a good man or a teacher. And if you're a Christian, I invite you to renew afresh your, your perspective on who Christ is, that he is not just a gift giver, but our Savior, that he saves our very souls. Jesus is a healer for the hurting and a Savior for the sinful. We opened by talking about the musician Angie Miller and her ability to draw crowds, Angie Miller from American Idol. And what you might not know about Angie Miller is that although she is a musician and she loves to sing, she actually has some problems hearing. She is 40% deaf in one ear and 20% deaf in the other. And yet, she still sings. She, she has problems hearing those around her, but she can hear, heal herself, hear herself sing. And when she does sing, she uses her voice to praise God. She is a Christian. Her father is a pastor of a church plant in Salem called Remix. And sometimes she leads worship there and sings. And when she was on the American Idol television show, I imagine uh, she would have liked to have... Uh, sung about healing. Maybe, maybe uh, like the rest of us, she would like to be healed when we get sick or afflicted with something. But she didn't sing about healing on the show. She sang about spiritual healing. Not physical, but spiritual. She actually sang a song called Love Came Down on national television. And it's about Christ coming down and rescuing us from our sins. The lyrics go, Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. We share Christ because he can heal us physically, but he can also heal us spiritually. We share him for that reason because Jesus is not just a healer or a good man. He's the savior of our souls. And his main mission was to come and make right that broken relationship between us and God. Jesus is a healer for the hurting and a savior for the sinful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins. You came preaching your word. You came casting out demons. You came healing us physically and spiritually. And we are so grateful that you came to do this because we need this healing. Lord, we pray all these things to your glory. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Please rise for the benediction. This comes from Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by the grace of God, you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Go with God. Amen.